1 Kings chapter 8 tonight. I want to talk just for a few moments, if I may, about a subject that I find to be somewhat interesting, and uh, that is the fact that uh, will God indeed dwell upon this earth? In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, we read, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built it. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant, and to thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in the heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. Can God indeed dwell upon the earth? That was the question that was asked. Can we imagine tonight for a few moments that the high, exalted, holy, happy, exalted God would lower himself enough to come and to dwell upon this earth. I didn't say would he come to visit it. I didn't say would he come to walk upon it. I didn't, but I said would he come to dwell upon this earth. Remember, God is so big that his center is nowhere and his circumference is everywhere. Would this God who is surrounded, who walks on the streets of gold, would he come so lowly that he would come and dwell upon the earth infested with thorns and thistles and snakes and spiders and insects and all the varmint that you could think of that this world has to offer? Would he who is in heaven surrounded by holy angels that cry out day and night, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Would he come and walk upon the earth and dwell among a sinful people, an unholy people, a vile, corrupt people that was duped by the temptation of Satan himself? Not walk among us. Not visit us, but would he come to dwell among such? Why would a God of so much wholeness and, and so much brilliance and, and be so lofty and exalted in heaven, why would he come and dwell upon an earth that's reserved to be destroyed by fire of judgment from the throne of God? And yet Solomon did not ask the question, will God come and walk on the earth? He didn't ask, will God come and, and visit the earth? He said, will God come and dwell upon this earth? Solomon wanted to build a temple for the Lord, and he built that temple. David wanted to build it, but God said, no, David, you're my warrior. Your son will build the temple. And David was so excited, he said, oh, uh, but for the sake of your word and according to your will, you've done this great thing. And he rejoiced to know that my son is going to build God the temple. And sure enough, Solomon built the temple for the Lord. He acknowledged that even though he had built the temple of the Lord, he said, but can the heaven of heavens contain this God? How will this beautiful temple that I'm about to build, how will that contain God? The heavens can't do it. There's no place so big that can inhabit God himself. And yet Solomon built the temple. Solomon's temple was too small to hold the living God. Understand, if you will, the Colorado mountains are extremely big, but Colorado can handle those mountains. 
The oceans of this world are enormous, but the earth is big enough to hold the oceans of this world. And yet that means that the world must be a humongous place. But yet the world is held by the universe and the universe holds the world and yet there is still so much room out there. Eons and eons and light years and light years of universe. Which tells me the universe is enormous. But yet God holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Which tells me that God is bigger and God is more grandeur. And God is more powerful and God is more awesome than the Colorado mountains or, or the seas of the earth or the world itself. God is huge. He's the biggest of all. Amen. With that being said, how big is God? The Bible said that God is so big the heavens cannot contain him. Think about that for a while. Heaven itself. God can't even fit in heaven. The heavens of heavens cannot contain him. And Solomon makes this temple for God to dwell in. Can God indeed dwell on the earth? I remember several years ago, I had a friend of mine that wanted to go flying with me. I said, well, meet me at the airport. I said, before we go, how much do you weigh? Oh, I'll weigh about 250 pounds. I said, okay, I'll rent the little Cessna 152. We can handle that, both of us together. So he gets out there, opens up that little door, and he scoots in there and puts his gut up on the, up on the uh, part of the airplane. And, and, I mean, it's up here hitting the, hitting the windshield. And I said, call him by name. Not didn't call him by name. I called him by name. And I said, how much do you weigh? Uh, 350. I said, you told me 250. I said, we can't even get the door closed on this thing. He couldn't fit in the airplane. God couldn't fit in the temple. And yet Solomon built the temple for the Lord. Think about that. God doesn't fit in the heavens. We should, let me say this. If God cannot fit in the heavens itself, we ought to fear and have a holy fear, a holy love for such a God. For a God that is so big, a God that is so huge, a God that is so awesome, a God that is so lofty, a God that is so powerful that created the universe, created the world, created the oceans, if he's that awesome, we should have a holy fear of such an entity. But how many times in modern day Christians especially, we act as if though God is the Santa Claus in the sky. And we sit upon his knee and give him our wish list of what we want him to do for us. And how many times we think he's our butler in glory and we ring the bell called in the name of Jesus and you better come to my beckoning call because if you don't, I'm not going to serve you. And many times when we looked at him as a handyman to do our bidding, this awesome God, we need to humble ourselves before him. For he will never humble himself any more than he did by coming to his son, Jesus Christ. Be that as it may, the question was asked, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? When God created man, we read in the book of Genesis that God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We read also in the word of God uh, that the Bible said when the nation of Israel was in bondage to Egypt, they cried out to God. And the Bible said, and God heard their cry, God saw their need, and God came down and God delivered them. Now get this. For God to deliver the nation of Israel, he used a man by the name of Moses. He used a sacrifice animal. 
He used the blood of that animal. He used hyssop. He used an altar. He used a death angel. He used the blackness of night. He used the rod of Moses. God used all of these different things, but he used nature and people, but we knew it was God who did the work. God uses nature. And the nation of Israel had no problem at all knowing that God would use natural things to accomplish supernatural acts. And today God still uses natural things to accomplish supernatural acts because he's God. The point being, God came down. He heard their cry and he came down and he delivered them. We read the Bible said that Jacob wrestled with the Lord. A point that it was a physical wrestling match to the point that when Jacob left, he was limping because the Lord had touched him. We read in the Word of God where the Bible tells us uh, that Joshua fell down and worshiped the angel of the Lord, which was a theophany uh, of the Lord of Israel, presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also find that we read in the Scripture also uh, where Moses saw a bush that was on fire. He was curious, and he walked up to the bush And from the bush, the voice of God says, take off your shoes for your own holy ground. Who are you? If anybody knew the name of their deity, if anybody knew the name of their God, it brought them down to a lesser God. He didn't give the name. He said, I am that I am. I am that I am has sent you. And yet we see that God manifests himself to these people. When Solomon asked the question, will God indeed dwell on the earth? The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much more this temple that I will build? Note two things, if you will, here. First of all, he never denies for a moment that the temple was a real habitation for God. And he never denied that the real presence of God was never there. What he did say was the fact that deity cannot be housed in earthen vessels. Deity cannot be housed in a, in a tabernacle, in a tent, in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a temple itself. He had an un, no word, unworthy ideas that was prevalent uh, within that day and age. And people thought that their deities could be housed in temples. They could house their deities uh, within some type of a shrine. And they thought that their deities was limited by space. But Solomon didn't believe that. He believed in the omnipresence of God. He knew that God was so big, that God was so awesome, that God was so powerful. He couldn't dwell in that temple. But other deities thought, our God can be in this temple. Our God can do this. That's why I'm saying all gods pale in comparison to Yahweh. All gods pale in comparison to the great I am that I am. There was strong skepticism from the beginning that could God indeed dwell in the temple I'm about to build? And the answer is no, God cannot dwell in that temple. It's similar prophetic reactions against the people's superstitions that were built for cultish practices back in those days. The prophetic voice about the value of a physical temple uh, was stated again forcibly at the time when Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple at the time of the exile. Notice, if you will, in Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Notice if you will in Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. He said this, Thus saith the Lord, the heavens is my throne, the earth is my footstool. 
Where is the house that you've built unto me? And where is the place of my, rest, of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to the him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Look at Acts chapter 7. But Solomon built a house, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all of these things? According to Isaiah 56, 7, the sanctuary is a place of prayer. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings, the burnt sacrifice shall be accepted upon my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. In other words, God said, you know what? I won't dwell in that temple, but my presence will be in that temple. And when you come into this temple, you can call upon me from a house of prayer. And I will hear and do great and mighty things among you. I think that's what he was trying to say. Thank God prayers have been heard. May I remind you, brothers and sisters, uh, just as Israel cried out to God while they lived in the bondage of Egypt. Where were they at? They were in the bondage of Egypt, and they cried out for relief, and God heard them, and God saw them, and God came down. May I remind you that the God who sits upon the circle of the earth has seen the shame and the sin and the demise of all lost humanity. But when you and I call upon him, he came down, he saw, he heard, and he delivered us. How? He did not do dwell in a temple, but thank God he dwelled in a body. And the Bible said in Hebrews, a body thou hast prepared me. And that body uh, was through the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. And he entered into that body and he did great things for you. And he's done great things for me. And he wants to do so much for a lost and a dying world. I'm rejoicing knowing that God saw man's plight, sin and shame and debauchery, and he came down. A, a, a temple could not hold him, but thank God a body did. And that's the beauty of what Christmas is all about. It's the mystery of the incarnation. God in man. Yes. Divinity housed in a man. 700 years before this, the birth of Jesus. Emmanuel, God was with us. Isaiah declared for unto you and to us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. God gave his son, but his son was born through Mary. And because of divinity and humanity coming together, Christ Jesus the Savior, Emmanuel. Solomon, God indeed can dwell upon the earth. Amen. He was not housed in your beautiful temple, but he was housed in a beautiful body. Lord. Jesus Christ, yes. God incarnate. Notice, if you will, he existed eternally. The Bible lets me know that he had no beginning and he certainly has no end. We need to stress again. I believe that Jesus did not just pop on the scene for the first time when he popped out of the, of the womb of Mary. He always was. Yes, he was. 
from the creation of time, from the eons of time. I don't know when time began. You can't, time has a beginning, but God don't have a, t- a beginning. In the beginning, when was that? I don't know. What did it look like? I don't know. Nobody knows. Jesus always was. He was even slain from the foundation of the world. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. How? Through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, through, the, through, through the loins of, of the Virgin Mary. And he became the God-man. Mary's baby boy Jesus existed eternally with God as God. Yes. I've said it before, but let me repeat People have said, I don't believe that Jesus Christ could have been born uh, supernaturally. I don't believe he, he had to have an earthly father. Everybody does. No, he did not have to have an earthly father. Adam, and, Adam was created without a man or without the assistance of a woman. God took the clay of this world, fashioned it, went, you're done. That's where the belly button comes out. You're done. And breathing in his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. Adam came into being without the assistance of a man or without the assistance of a woman. Made in the image and created in the image and likeness of God. And Adam was lonely. So God made him a helpmate. He put him to sleep. And now Eve was fashioned from the side of Adam. He was not, she was not taken from his head to be lorded over. Not taken from his feet to be trampled upon. But taken from the rib which was close to his heart. Where she would be part of him. Where she loved and protect and hold. So Eve came into the world without the assistance of a woman. But with the assistance of a man. And when they talked about the virgin born son of God. Jesus came to this world with the assistance of a woman, but without the assistance of a man. I believe that. For without that, we are still in our sins. Had Jesus had an earthly father, he would need a sinner. He would need a savior because he would have been a sinner. And the rest of us were born all the same. Mom and Papa got together and here we are. Four ways that mankind has been brought into this world. Jesus uh, existed eternally. In Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things uh, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Not only was he existed eternally, but thank God he was conceived supernaturally. The scriptures lets me know that neither Joseph nor Mary uh, can receive the credit for birthing Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gets the credit. Now Mary gets the credit in the fact that she pondered in her heart what the Holy Spirit said. You know, I've thought a whole lot about that through the years. What it must have been like for the angel to come to Mary and say, Mary, you're highly favored of the Lord. Uh, You're chosen. And that holy thing which will be birthed in you is going to be the Son of God. How can this be? I don't know a man. I've never had a sexual relationship with a man. Not planning on it. Ah, but the Holy Ghost will overshadow you. And you know, she didn't question it. She questioned the motive of the method, but she didn't question the fact that it was going to happen. How can this be saying, I don't know, man? She just said, it can't ever happen. She wanted to know the method. How's it going to happen? I think it'd be a question I want to know. The Holy Spirit will overshadow. Talking about a miracle, talking about a conceived supernaturally, that's what happened. He was conceived supernaturally. Therefore, he's holy and just. 
That's why he could be called the son of God. Not the son of Joseph, but the son of God. He was often referred to as the son of Mary in a, in a cutting way. But never the son of Joseph. Always the son of God. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the God of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Praise God for that. Then he also said, and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Notice also he died sacrificially. The manger was part of it, but the cross was the main part. The birth would have been no count at all had it not been for the death. And the death would have mattered at all either had it not been for the resurrection. But the Bible said, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now we know this. There's nothing deep here tonight. But we need to be reminded. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved from sin. Remember the song we used to sing years ago? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But remember the song we now sing, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Hallelujah, I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved from the sin's penalty. Jesus bore that in his body on the cross. I am being saved every day of my life from sin's power. It's called sanctification. But one day you and I will be saved from the very presence of sin, and that will be called glorification. Thank God for that tonight. I thank the Lord for Christmas. Isaiah said, My righteous servant shall justify many. My righteous servant shall justify many. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom. What's a ransom? First of all, God owed the devil nothing. There was no ransom ever paid to Satan. He paid a ransom. Sin was judged in Jesus Christ. His blood satisfied God's dictates, God's holiness. And for that I'm grateful. Well, he existed eternally. He was conceived supernaturally. He died sacrificially. But thank God he rose miraculously. Once again, Jesus told the religious people of that day, and anybody else that cared to listen, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now the people were scratching and said, wait a minute, it took 46 years for us to build this temple, and it's going to be destroyed, and you're going to make it up, back it up in three, and a friend, you can be a good carpenter, but you're not going to build that temple back in no three days. But Jesus wasn't referring to the physical temple standing on the mount. He is referring to his body. Destroy. Remember, God cannot dwell in a physical temple, but God dwelled in this temple, the body. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll build it back. Well, they didn't know where to scratch their watch and wind their head when they heard that. And sure enough, he died for the sins of the world. They watched him give up the spirit. They watched him say in thy hands, I commend my spirit. And they buried him. 
And they said, he said he'd come back to life in three days, so we're going to do what? We're going to put soldiers around the tomb, and we're going to put the seal upon it. Nobody can touch it. And boy, they're there guarding, watching. And sure enough, after three days, the earthquake came. The tomb was opened up, not to let Jesus out, but to show that he came out. Thank God he rose miraculously. Jesus overcame sin. Jesus overcame death. And Jesus overcame the grave. Why? You can't kill God and keep him dead. I said, you can't kill God. And he was God in the flesh. And as a result of that, the body he lived in died. But he never died. And because of that, when he rose back from the grave, he came up in a glorified body. It was not a, not a resuscitation of the old, but it was a glorified body. One that had nail prints in it. One that had the uh, stripes upon the back. The one that still had the nail prints in the hand. The only thing made in heaven by human hands are the scars, the wounds in the body of Jesus. How we know that? Because he told Thomas, handle me, touch me, look at the nail prints, feel, the, feel where the sword went into my side. Throughout eternity, we'll be able to see the love, the price that he paid for your sins and for mine. He said, freely, I lay my life down, and freely, I'm going to pick it back up again. No man takes my life from me. I'm not a martyr for a cause. I'm not a victim at the devil's exposure. I have come to give my life for everybody. And I thank the Lord for that. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the grave. Hallelujah. In Romans 1, 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of wholeness by the resurrection from the dead. And then in John 10 we read, Therefore... Doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again? No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment I received of my Father. I don't know about you, but that kind of excites me to know that the Father said this is what's going to happen, and it was. Well, let me hurry. He ascended triumphantly. The Scripture tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven itself. Jesus went back into heaven. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be walking down the road with those disciples and Jesus trying to tell them what the church was going to do and they wanted to know, are you going to judge Israel now? Are we going to sit on thrones with you? And the whole time they're walking and walking, boom, he's gone. They go, where'd he go? What happened? They saw him die sacrificially. They saw him rise from the grave miraculously. And they, they saw him ascend triumphantly. I don't know about you, but I feel like a pep talk was, you talking about a pep talk. You ever played football or sports in high school or college? Yeah. You ever get a pep talk? Yeah. I tell you what, we would be underdogs so many times. 
And our coach would come in at halftime or before the game or at halftime, whatever, and he'd give us a pep talk. Well, shoot, we thought we could beat the Green Bay Packers. And we were elementary students. That pep talk would do, I mean, they had the ability to make your spirit come alive, make you think you could do anything. Well, God, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and sent into heaven, you talk about a pep talk. To me, he was saying, I have overcome life. I have overcome death. I have overcome the grave. I have overcome sin. I've overcome the devil. I've overcome authorities of this world. And now I've overcome gravity. And I've given you all this power and authority to do what I did. Well, I believe they went looking for devils to kick in the head. You know why? Because they went to that upper room. But here's the catcher. It's possible that 500 people could have been in that upper room at one time. It's very possible because Jesus was seen alive by 500 at one time. And the promise in Luke 24, 49 was go to Jerusalem and tarry until you receive the power of God from on high. Did the 500 go? I don't know. It's possible. But a day or two passed, an hour or two passed. I'm not staying here. I know he went up, and I know he said he's going to come back, but I, I, don't, I don't want it. I, 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 I a football game coming on tonight. I, I, I've got a hockey game I've got to see. I've got to meet somebody for dinner. I can't stay here. It's wasting my time. So they left. Day or two passed, some more left. Three or four days passed, but there was 120 that stayed there until the day of Pentecost was fully come. And what must it have been like waiting there? I wonder if the devil didn't send a little Peter show and say, what in the world are you doing here? You denied the Lord. Yeah, devil, but he forgave me. And said, if I wait, he'd baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if he looked at Thomas and said, Thomas, what in the world? You doubted him. You denied him. Oh, what, what are you? He forgave me, and I need the faith that he had. And if I stay here long enough, I know that faith is going to come. Mary, you birthed the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely you don't need this Holy Spirit thing. What are you doing here? Well, when he died, a sword went through my heart. And I know he's alive, but I need the comfort of the Spirit of God that he said he would give when he came down upon me. James and John, you two crazy guys, you thought you were going to sit on the throne with him right here, right now. What are you all doing in here? We need the power to go forth and do the work that he begun. For he said the work that he started, we're going to keep on doing it. And it took the anointing. We watched him in the anointing. We watched him pray. We watched him do this. We need what he's got. And we're here waiting. And thank God and the power of the Lord came down on the day of Pentecost. They did great exploits for him. He ascended. Why? So that the power of God may come back down upon them. And surely he did. And may I just tell you something? The power of Pentecost is not over. I said the message of Pentecost is not over. I'm so shocked when missionaries come through. They say, you know, this is the first time we've seen the gifts of the Spirit operate in five years in Pentecostal churches. Well, this is the first time we've seen somebody around the altar praying and, and God knows how long. What's going on with Pentecost? Have we, become, have we become so educated? Have we become so snug in what we've done that we've just dictated God right out of the church? Are we on such a timetable we don't let him move anymore? Are we so orchestrated with our time factor that we're afraid for God to move? I know some churches, I'm not saying they're wrong. It's wrong for me. I'm not saying they are. Because I don't know what kind of nuts they got in their church. But you can't bring forth an utterance in tongues. You can't bring forth a prophetic word until you come to the pulpit and say, Sir, can I obey the Lord? 
Where's the spontaneity and the coordination and the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God with his people? Now, I know I made a lady mad here one night. She, one day she came a couple Sundays and walked up to me and she said, Pastor, I enjoy being here. But the Lord uses me in prophecy. Am I allowed to prophesy here? I said, well, sister, how's your prayer life? Well, what's that got to do with it? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's got a lot to do with it. Amen. I said, do you consider yourself an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament prophet? Uh, never thought of that. What's the difference? I said, well, if you prophesy as an Old Testament prophet and you get it wrong, we're going to stone you. And I said, if you're a New Testament prophet and you get it wrong, we're going to set you down. Now, which one are you? And she'd never been back. Friend, if you're a prophet, you don't go around telling people, I'm prophet so-and-so. Let God, let God use you. I'm here to tell you, the day of Pentecost is over, but the Pentecost experience is as real today as it's ever been. Yeah. And we as Christians had better get back under the spout where God's power was poured out. Because he is no respecter of person. And he wants the church to be full, not of baloney, but of the power of God. And it can only happen as we're in the spirit of God. Well, can I tell you one more thing about all this? A couple more things. He's going to come again gloriously. <laughs> For the same Jesus that went up is the same Jesus that's going to come back. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from the most part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Thank God. And then may I tell you this? He also is going to reign supremely. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. One of these days, not going to be no more hanging chads. One of these days, not going to be no more fighting in the ballot box. One of these days, no more Russian collusion. One of these days, no more Chinese interference. One of these days, no more media. One of these days, no more Facebook and Twitter. One of these days, they all want to bow down before the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we're going to say, glory. We've been on the right side all the time, friend. We may be the minority, but thank God with are on God's side, we have become the majority. We may be small in number, but we serve a God tonight that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him. And he wants a relationship with you, and he wants a vital relationship with me as well. Let me close. And Daniel... Chapter 244. And the days of the king shall the God of the heavens set upon the kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And thank God the prophet, prophet promise of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 will be fulfilled, and there will be no end to his reign. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for Christmas yes. because God did indeed dwell upon the earth, not in the temple, but in the body of Christ. Lord. He existed eternally. He was conceived supernaturally. He died sacrificially. He rose miraculously. And thank God, uh, he ascended triumphantly. He's coming again gloriously, and he will reign supremely. What's his name? 
Jesus. Let's stand together tonight. Would you mind right where you were in this small crowd? Thank you for your attention. I hope you got something out of it. If nothing else, a pep talk that'll encourage you in the ways of the Lord. Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voices? Just give the Lord praise tonight for being your Savior. Lord, how grateful we are again tonight for Jesus. How grateful we are tonight that you have done all that you've done for us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We need to be reminded this world's not the only world we're going to live in. We realize tonight, Lord, that many more times than not, wrong looks to be right. Lord, sin seems to be rewarded and righteousness seems to be punished. It seems like, Lord, that the foxes are watching the hen house tonight. But there's going to be a reversal. It's not pie in the sky. It's not wishful thinking. It is the prophetic word of God that it never changes. It's prophetic word of God that is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. We put our hope, faith, and trust in your word, knowing that if all the prophecies were fulfilled concerning your first coming, we have all the confidence in the world. It's going to be fulfilled concerning the second. So, Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that indeed you dwelled on this earth through your Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Now what's great is even though the heavens of heaven cannot contain you, and even though you created the universe with the light years of expansion that may be there, and yet you still dwell in our hearts. For your Bible says, your word tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You dwell in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We thank you, Lord, that you take residence in our life. Now, Lord, may we walk out of these, this room into this world with our head high, not haughty, but with humility, understanding that greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And may we walk, Lord, and where we walk, may people take knowledge that the kingdom of God has showed up wherever we are. May we act like king's kids. May we do the work of the ambassador. May we do the work of God with the anointing resting upon us that we might see the incarnation of Jesus Christ duplicated every day of our life as we let go and let God work through us.